This episode, Dr. Jeff Porter and I speak with three media innovators who are all entrepreneurial within their own organizations. Welcome back to another edition of Sport Media and Tech. I'm your host, Keel Blake. Uh, we have Dr. Jeff Porter here co-moderating today, um, and we have three very special guests joining us. So uh, first and foremost, I'd like to introduce uh, Kristen Gear. How are you doing today? Very well, Keel. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so, so glad you're here. And uh, we also have um, Ryan Berger from Hyper. How are you doing, Ryan? Doing great, Keel. Thanks for having me. Excited to uh, be here. Happy Friday. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and happy Friday, everyone. I know uh, we're doing this during what probably is your Friday uh, video happy hour. So thank you for taking that time out from uh, your team to join us here now. And uh, last but not least, we have Matt Vincent uh, from uh, Daytona uh, Speedway and International. Um, I'm sorry, <laughs> from Daytona Speedway and uh, International Speedway Corporation. So how are you doing, Matt? Aside from having to stay inside when the weather is what it is. Yeah. I'm doing pretty good, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Hey, uh, happy to have you. And, and our relationship goes back, uh, oh my gosh, to uh, back, well, we're both at UCF. So I want to share with the students that you not only did your undergrad, but your uh, graduate uh, degrees at UCF. Uh, and then, uh, so what we typically start out asking is, you know, just your journey um, to where you got to today. And so, um, Kristen, you know, you now are our CEO of, Ble of Bleacher and, uh, and work with Tennis One, but could you share with the students how you got to your uh, role today? Yeah, my background is varied. I started in television. Uh, I was an investigative reporter for 15 years. I did some news anchoring and other general assignment reporting, but I got really good at sales. There was something about journalism that taught me how to be really good at sales. And so I'd always wanted to start my own company. And so I left television news and started, um, started my own TV production company. We did syndicated television shows for a number of years. Uh, and I loved it. I loved, loved, loved it. I loved telling the stories. I loved working with the celebrities. I loved pitching to, to stations. I, I loved it. And then we got creamed during the recession, the 2008, 2009 recession. I pivoted at our company to then start doing corporate videos for um, major corporations here in Minnesota, 3M, uh, Cargill, we worked with a lot of, of big companies, but I was bored out of my mind. And I said, I can't do this for the rest of my life. That wasn't what I was, what I was meant to do. And at the same time I had, we, we had our, our, our little, we had a baby and I had my little girl and I said, I want to just, I, I know that it's time now to pivot again myself and say, all right, I'm going to stay home with her a little bit for a little while at least. Um, and I'm going to go back to school and get my master's. And so I went back to, I went to Johns Hopkins and got my, um, my degree in digital communications. And I knew that television was a dying platform. I knew that mobile was the future. And so um, after I got my degree, my husband and I started um, uh, this company called Bleacher. It's a mobile app uh, sports development company. We develop apps for teams, leagues, tournaments, colleges, and universities. And we we have a lot of fun doing it. We're primarily in three sports verticals. We do white label apps for um, uh, some baseball, independent baseball teams. Uh, we do a number of fan engagement apps. Uh, we partner with a company called Sidearm, which is a Learfield IMG company. And um, we, we do fan engagement for a number of universities and, and colleges. Um, and then we're really big in the tennis space. We, we, we somehow have created this, this uh, opportunity for ourselves in tennis and have we now do the majority of the U.S. Open series and other prestigious tournaments like the Paris Masters, the Miami Open. We were supposed to be there last week. We're supposed to be at the Volvo Car Open this week. And so it's, it's a bit devastating that we're not there. Um, but at the same time, we're, we're moving forward. We're, we're excited about how we're pivoting uh, now. And I um, and, and, and think we've, we're creating some pretty cool things as, as a result of this. So it's not all bad. Yeah, uh, Kristen, I, I appreciate you sharing a little of your path, and, and I know the students are going to enjoy, enjoy that as this is a sports media uh, course, and so your background just uh, really hits a lot of the different areas that we talk about in class, and uh, I'm excited on this podcast here today to have two, um, you know, other educators as well in terms of that you, uh, you teach, and then also uh, Ryan, why don't you share a little of your background and, and, uh, and just, you know, your background in education too. Yeah, so... Uh... I grew up in advertising. I came from a 
advertising household. My dad uh, ran his own agency in the 80s, wrote a lot of lines like that uh, you know very well, like time to make the donuts and uh, get fresh for Subway and drive safely for Volvo and, and other brands. So I grew up around the 32nd spot. Um, but my career has been filled with helping brands do everything but run the 32nd spot. So uh, as I've sort of um, helped companies get connected to culture, I've been able to do a number of different things that have been uh, through a creative lens, specifically social, digital events, experiences, and more that have allowed brands to uh, identify the right people um, and let those in people spread their message via word of mouth. And, uh, and word of mouth is something that I'm really passionate about. And to Kiel's question about education, it's, I've spent a lot of time at uh, the NYU Graduate Studies program helping kids uh, understand how to create word of mouth and teaching new media and word of mouth classes for 11 or 12 years. Uh, and then partnered about seven years ago with uh, two other individuals and started a company called Hyper, which is uh, a digital platform in uh, uh, with offices in New York, Israel, and, and San Francisco, and London. And uh, it allows us to help brands identify those people through our platform. So instead of having to go through my phone and looking at who, who I'm connected to, which is a very different group of people now that I'm 43 and I'm married with three kids, I need a digital technology to tell me who my kids follow and who my kids want to be connected to. So um, people run the world. Uh, when people talk, other people listen. It is the most powerful form of media in the world. And I help companies get to those people to share that message. Yeah, you know, Ryan, it, it's, uh, it's been awesome to see what you've been able to do uh, with your partnerships and, and just uh, some of the activations uh, that are so unique. So I, I know during the podcast, I'd love for you to share some of the activations that you've been, uh, been able to do throughout your career. And then um, also with Hyper, just uh, building uh, the world's largest database. And um, I just want to thank you because you've not only, uh, you know, helped uh, a nonprofit that we're doing work with right now to uh, help uh, encourage kids to, to do good from home uh, during this COVID-19 crisis, uh, but you also provided the students, and I want to remind them, with uh, some data for their projects. So uh, I know they're going to want to thank you for that as, uh, as it was a big help for their individual projects to be able to have that audience demographic data um, for the teams they've been working with. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things when you look at teams and you know, we work with a, a number of them and I've consulted with, with many others over the past couple of years is, is teams, and Kristen mentioned it before, the, the words fan engagement is really where it's at and finding ways to engage people while they're at a game, while they're at a match, who are going to be staring at their phones regardless of who's playing. It's just the way human nature is now. So finding those right tools um, I've been a part of several technologies over the past sort of decade that have been almost too early, helping companies get in. It's just now exploding. And the reason why it's exploding is because of bandwidth and, and Wi-Fi is finally good enough at the Miami Open or at the Madison Square Garden where you can actually use these tools and engage with them correctly uh, so fans can get deeper into the loyalty for their teams. Yeah. And, you know, Matt, uh, you know, I'd just like to uh, have you share some of uh, your background and journey from undergrad to where you are today, as it's really relatable to the students, being that you are a knight and kind of walked the path that they're all walking right now. Sure. I think uh, one of the common threads we have here, everyone today, is my background is also a little bit different. My undergraduate work at UCF was in engineering technology. And then uh, while I was there, my senior year, I worked at Lockheed Martin, worked on the Apache helicopters arrowhead system, which is like a night vision system. It seems very cool, but at the time I was just not really enjoying myself. Uh, I, I grew up playing sports, watching sports, really loved sports, but didn't really know you could even study sports or how to even get my foot in the door. Started doing some research in my senior year, found out that UCF had one of the, the top graduate programs in the nation for graduate study in sports marketing. I applied. I actually didn't get in the first year. I didn't have a whole lot of experience in the background on sports. I didn't know what they were quite looking for. So I kind of took a year. I uh, worked for UCF Athletics, where I kind of met you, um, taking tickets for baseball games, setting up the track and field, working in hospitality for football games, essentially doing everything I could to kind of get my, my foot back in the door, build some sports experience. I applied for the program next year, got in, 
Um, took two years to really just focus on studies and growing my network. While I was there, uh, Dr. Sutton was there, Dr. Harrison, Dr. Lapchick. Um, with Dr. Sutton in particular, he really made it his passion to kind of make sure students got placed. Uh, I know Ashley Turner's there now. She's doing a similar job where it's her, her, her passion as well. But while I was in graduate school, just made sure to continue to grow my network. Um, landed a spot through an old graduate assistant of Dr. Sutton's way back when at a sports marketing agency out in San Francisco. Went out there for a couple of years um, where I really kind of learned a lot about email marketing, social media marketing, websites, uh, how to build mobile apps, and then transitioned that into my role today where I'm at Daytona International Speedway, doing a lot of similar things, leading more so on the strategy side, but uh, leading a team that oversees the website for essentially the, the nation's largest NASCAR race, Daytona 500, along with several other, other events. Hey guys, I really appreciate hearing your background. And, and Kristen, once you start off with the next one is, you know, you talk about pivoting, you talk about being bored at your job and, and you and your husband starting your own company. Uh, to that end, really what inspires all of you? Like, what is the thing that gets you up in the morning, gets you going and really is, hits your passion about what you do? Hmm, that's a really good question. Um, to be really honest, it is just trying to... Um, to really grow something special. Um, I think that is, no matter what, no matter what I do, if it's, if I'm doing my adjunct professor job, I want to grow. I want to let my students grow. I want to be able to, to, to grow as a person and to, to make that successful. But in terms of my company, um, it's about trying to really create something uh, special that will elevate the fan experience and change how sports fans use um, their mobile device to interact with teams and tournaments um, and sports organizations and sponsors, to be honest. Uh, I want to create something that they get excited about. I want it to be something special and not something that they expect. I don't like... Um, I don't, I don't like boring. I don't like just the expected, right? I want to create something. I want my team to create something that is going to stand out and be special and be different. I think that's the main thing for me. It drives me. And Ryan, to that same point, what about you? What, what do you, what is, you know, you, you have a, a different background, you have a different series of experiences and what drives you in the, uh, in the morning to get up and, and, and get started on your day? I grew up playing hoops. It's, it's basketball is very near and dear to me. I played in college for a little while. So the thing that used to get me up in the morning was trying to see how many threes I can make out of 100, which was normally 98 or 90, 99 of them. Um, uh, so that used to be the thing that would, would drive me. And now what really drives me is, is family. Uh, you know, I, I have three kids. Uh, I've been, you know, with the same woman for a long time. Um, and that drives me when you look at what's going on in the world today. Um, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and, uh, valuing time with family, valuing, um, you know, finding ways to spend experiences, uh, time with kids that, you know, are, are really invaluable. Um, I coach my sixth grader. Uh, I was a point guard on uh, the town basketball team, and I've coached him for several years. I coach my third grade girl, and uh, and my three-year-old works uh, hard at home every single day on her handle, and hopefully will be uh, the next uh, you know Rebecca Lobo in, in the WNBA. Um, I love spending time with my family. I love spending time with my kids, and and. Uh, what I do allows me to do that. And at the same time, allows me to focus on work and what drives me in the morning to wake up and, and, and go to work is actually making connections and making things happen. I love making deals and making connections and connecting the right people and seeing what could come out of it and connecting a technology company to a big company and seeing how they might be able to work and, and service them. So um, that's what gets me up in the morning besides my alarm on, on my iPhone. Matt, same question, what about you? Yeah, so I mean, the number one job I have in my role is to sell tickets. 
We don't sell tickets. I don't have a job. To do that through my channels on the digital side, we have to tell great stories. So what really kind of inspires me is how do I tell those stories in a cool, epic way, very similar to what Kristen was saying. Like, how can I create content that either gets people to go, damn, that's so cool. I have to go attend the Daytona 500. Or I've got to see Daytona Supercross in person. Or if I'm covering an event live on social, they see it and go, God, why didn't I buy that ticket? I'm, I'm missing out. You know, you hear about the FOMO type of stuff all the time. It's like, that's the kind of content you want to create so that you and your friends come to our events next time. Um, excuse the language. I, I'm a very colorful person, but my team has a motto and it's do more cool shit. So that's kind of our motto that we live by. Like, how can we innovate and do new things? How do we, you know, dip our toes into augmented reality and what, what kind of cool stuff can we do there? What's the next thing that that's uh, on the list that, that gets people going, oh, that's really cool. I wish, you know, more tracks did what Daytona International Speedway did. So trying to be the best in our industry kind of drives me internally and, and telling great stories and getting our fans that sense of, oh, I really need to be there and take that action to buy that ticket. That's kind of what inspires me. Kristen, I want to follow up on something you said, and, and, and this will be it, it kind of segue into an interesting conversation. And, and Matt, you, you kind of hit on this, hit on this a little bit. Now, some of you guys have really worked in fan engagement with fan experience. And now with the onset of COVID-19, uh, you know, I, I, Matt, I would assume that you're probably not selling any tickets right now, uh, or they're so significantly delayed. And so, and so Kristen, for, for you to start with, what is that fan experience? What is your, um, your role and how to, what does that look like changing moving forward, right? Things are happening at a, at a ridiculous pace, news changes every day. And so with your role, especially with the fan experience and the things that, you're, that you have your hands on, what does the future look like uh, moving forward? And will you have to continue to pivot and adjust uh, as we come out of this uh, whole ordeal? Yeah. I, I can tell you that when this all started, when, when, when COVID-19 uh, began to really become something uh, that we recognized was going to be problematic for society, we immediately called everybody in and said, all right, um, here's, here's a big problem. We see the economy diving. It was taking a nosedive immediately. And I'm like, we've got to do something quickly. We're a startup. I mean, this is a startup company. We don't have, you know, tons of, of venture capital backing us. This, we're, we're like, this is, this is a real problem for us. And with live sports, we're a live sports app company. Without live sports, we're dead in the water. We thought we had been so creative in creating these fabulous, fun games on top of our live sports engine, we call it. Um, so we have games that are, that are dependent on actual live scores. So point, point Streak Live, for example, uh, you get to pick each point as it's played in, in a tennis match, which is a lot of fun. It's very addicting. It's really a fun game, but it's dependent on live sports. So here we thought we had been so clever and so creative and my team did such a great job creating these remarkable games. But without that, what do we do? And so immediately I said, all right, I want you all to go to, the, go to your whiteboards. We need to like really think about how can we engage people. These fans need something to do. If there's no live sports, what are they going to do for the next two, three months? God willing, we'll be playing again by summer. Um, but we don't know, right? And so in the meantime, how can we engage these fans? How can we continue to grow our product uh, at a time when, when it, it's, it's dead in the water? So we um, created some really cool live streams. We've connected with some great players to do some phenomenal live streams from their homes. And this week we started that and that has been hugely successful already. We're getting some really great traction in that regard. We created a multiplayer Pong game and a game called Trivia Ace, which is automated trivia based on historical tennis play. Super creative. My team is, I, I'm, I'm so proud of my team. They really created three amazing new features in three weeks. Um, and and, and they're, they're, they're going to be, I think, a great driver of fan engagement, in our, especially in our Tennis One app over the next couple of months. Um, I think the team's excited about it. I think that they're starting to see that, hey, we really can do this and, and this could be meaningful. So I'm hopeful anyway. Awesome, great. Because it looks like, you know, a lot of the, what you've worked on can be used after, even, even after we get past this crisis, right? It looks like another yes. asset in your arsenal. Yeah, um, absolutely. 
And Ryan, so what about you? Like, and, and things that you have your day-to-day on, how does COVID-19 look uh, future-wise after we get past this uh, pandemic? Um, you know, I think what we really tend to work on with is, is influencer marketing. And when you think about people being home today, um, influencers is really the easiest tool or channel to activate. You don't need to fly them in anywhere. They need to post. They don't need to host an event and everyone's staring at their screens all day. So we're seeing a significant surge of interest from brands that are realizing that that's the case. The challenge becomes the message that they uh, deliver. Uh, The influencers putting out a message regarding materialistic regarding shoes or clothes or the latest Yeezys isn't necessarily the message that a brand should be um, portraying, but helping versus talking at them and talking at the consumers is really where brands are using influencers very, very effectively. And we're seeing a number of different companies and different uh, uh, initiatives like the one that uh, I'm working on with Kiel with Hasbro around uh, the Do Good From Home Challenge that is very focused on using influencers the right way and uh, and driving engagement with them during COVID-19. That's awesome. Um, Matt? I mean, again, like I work in a in, in a prof- uh, um, in a sport, sporting field as well, and we're not selling any tickets right now. Uh, and so I imagine you guys have our work on a series of contingencies about what startup looks like and what the future looks like. So for you, what does that look like for uh, at the Daytona International Speedway? Yeah, I mean, from an industry standpoint, even from an employee standpoint, all of our employees are now reduced salary. So we're at 80%. We're starting to be forced to use vacation days. And it all sucks, but it could be worse, right? So the XFL today announced they're laying off everybody. So I still have a job, so we're still thankful. Um, That being said, we've lost some of our races. Uh, We were supposed to host the three-day music festival coming up in May. It was supposed to be a humongous event that we were looking forward to. That's now gone. Um, With that said, though, I will say the NASCAR industry in particular has done a really great job in transitioning into esports. So from the moment they started canceling some of these races, kind of started organically, where some of the drivers and crew chiefs and spotters started talking to each other online saying, hey, let's, let's hop on iRacing, which is a simulated simulation, kind of a video game, but more simulated, uh, where drivers are driving in these rigs or as close to the real thing as you can get, and they're racing each other online. It started on Twitch. A couple hundred thousand people are watching. That starts to pick up momentum, and now NASCAR's kind of galvanized the industry where they're doing weekly pro invitational series. So you've got, you know, Dale Earnhardt Jr. You've got your real drivers. They're actually driving in a race. They're driving at Bristol Motor Speedway when, you know, that Sunday they wouldn't have been driving at Bristol Motor Speedway. That started to pick up a little more traction each week. There's been some, some additional events added each week. So now we're up to three or four events that have gone from Twitch. They're now being telecast on Fox and NBC. So where you're trying to put some band-aids on things, where you're losing broadcasts on live sports, we at least have a couple hour broadcast of some live esports. Um, it's definitely not gonna you know, stop the dam from flooding and you're gonna lose a lot of money on, on live sporting events, but it provides some content, kind of gives a little bit of escapism where you know, you're at home watching a race, you're watching Kyle Busch, you're watching your favorite driver's race. It's just not, not real, but it's as close as real to you as you can get. And then you know that they're starting to look at um, are there possibilities of racing without fans and what does that look like? So it's definitely something where the sooner we can all get back to normal, the better, especially in our industry. But as you said, there, there's contingency plan, A, B, C, D, E. I mean, from an industry standpoint, we're working on, if we start in May, if we start in June, if we start in July, if we have to cancel, like there's four or five different plans being put into action and we're all just kind of waiting to see. Yeah, you know, each of you are innovators in your own space and you've talked about, you know, how this time has just kind of put each of your organizations in a position to find new ways to engage fans and engage audiences. But, you know, let's fast forward and as things, you know, are returning back to normal and, um, and prior to, to COVID-19, um, each of you also have been working on really uh, new and just, just innovative technologies around um, stadium, in, in stadium services uh, in terms of, you know, second screen experiences in stadium or, or, or home entertainment. So could, could you share a little bit in, in each of your roles what some of those technologies are and how you're developing uh, better relationships with fans for the brands that you work with? 
so what we're doing is creating, um, it's all about what's next, what Matt just spoke to. He, he said, it's all about, you know, what's next, what's the next big thing. We're experimenting with AR, we're exper experimenting with a number of things. We are too. It, it is, it's what we have to do because the, the attention span of fans today is so small that we don't have, a, we don't have any option. At the same time, fans expect everything in one place. They expect the comprehensive app. They, they want everything in one place. They don't want to have to download 50 apps to have one experience or to have one really great experience as a fan of a particular team. So what we've tried to do is create that comprehensive app, but creating different uh, feature sets that are specific to various um, sports organizations. Everybody's looking for something different. We try to be very unique in what they're looking for. We listen to what they need and try to fill those needs. Um, and then how, and try to transition that new, if we've, if we've created something new, how can we transition that across the board? Can we use that in, in new ways uh, for, for other uh, partners as well? So it's, it's really about trying to just be that creative, uh, innovative uh, entity that, that's always thinking and always listening to, uh, to the client and the client's needs. And sometimes the client is also the fan. Uh, we're definitely learning that we're a B2B to C company and that, it, that creates all kinds of complications. But at the same time, it's really interesting and fun. And I like that challenge. Um, I like having the fan as the ultimate uh, client. And we've been able to do a lot of research over the last few years as a result of that. And the things that we've learned, um, it, it's, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. And things are changing dramatically um, in that space. So it, it's kind of a fun place to be right now. Yeah, you know, Kristen, it, it's, it's awesome to see what you've been able to come up with with Tennis One and just, you know, being able to interact with people you know, looking at other stats while they're, you know, in, in a venue where there's multiple matches going on at the same time, the trivia to engage like you've referenced. And, and so Ryan, I want to ask you is, is, you know, you work across a variety of different brands. Um, you see a lot in the markets. Where, where do you see things changing the most? And, and what is the human behavior that drives some of this uh, in terms of needs? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's um, companies that are really having an, a, a focused, uh, technology that can adhere to the current times are, are companies that are clearly you know rising right now zoom being one of them as we as we talk uh, I'm involved in one called famer which is a, uh, a sports pl platform that helps kids train with their teams um, and if I take my son he goes and tr practices with his basketball team three nights a week he still has four nights a week to do homework so if he wants to have a better crossover, he can go on YouTube and look up uh, how to do a better crossover. But I wouldn't see him doing that. His coach wouldn't see him doing that. And he'd probably half-ass it. So what the app allows you to do is actually have your coach upload the drills that they want their kids to do. And then they have an on-demand library on Famer. And then the kids can actually do the drills. Each week a new workout is posted. They can record the drills and send the drills back to their their coach. So they begin to have a one-on-one -on -one discussion. It works really nicely for the kids even before COVID because they can work on what they need to work on as opposed to just going outside and trying to make threes like Brad and Beal. The, the, the way it works nicely with the teams is that if you actually put us into the registration fee, so if you're paying $300 a season for your child to play soccer, maybe you charge 400 or 450 now and that extra $150 of rev share between Famer, our platform, and the team. So it's a nice way for the team to make more additional revenue, for the kids to get better, more personalized coaching. And then obviously there's brand opportunities all over the place uh, for leagues, for teams, for brands uh, to be able to integrate into there. So I, I, we're going to be announcing some really exciting stuff soon regarding uh, that aspect of it. But as COVID has happened, we've seen a lot of uh, organizations and local teams take advantage of the platform so kids can work out through the, through the tool and the coach doesn't actually have to do it live. It could be on demand. 
Yeah. So, so Ryan, I have to ask, is there an, is there an age limit to that app? Cause I need to work on my three while I'm stuck at, at the house right now and can't get out and play. So the age limit is uh, 91. So hopefully yeah. you fit in there. <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking to you, Zach. All right. So Zach is one of our students and uh, mm -hmm. running to him at the downtown wild time playing basketball. <laughs> so, all right. Yeah, he has got that nasty jump shot, Zach. Be careful. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And then, uh, and, and Matt, you know, how about uh, what you're doing uh, at Daytona International Speedway? How are you leveraging, you know, second screens and or just, uh, you know, that in-stadium uh, second experience? Yeah, so more of my focus is definitely in venue and while fans are attending our events. So we put together some really cool programs through our mobile app where we reward them for essentially exploring the venue. Uh, if you're not familiar, Daytona International Speedway is over 500 acres big. So essentially becomes its own little city, especially during a time like Daytona 500. We've got several partners that are, you know, paying to be on site and activate. So how do we drive foot traffic to those display areas? How do we, you know, drive fans to engage with them? Well, we do it a lot through our mobile app. We've got a really cool program called Daytona Rewards that essentially kind of acts as a scavenger hunt where the more locations you visit and more signs you scan with your phone, you unlock different badges, which then qualify you for different prizes. Our prizes include anything from waving the green flag for a race to taking your photo with the winner in victory lane to anything all the way down to like a small keychain. So we have these really cool experiences that we're giving away that drive the engagement and, and interaction with the platform while we're there. I don't do a lot on the second screen stuff, especially with fans at home since I'm focusing on the venue, but we have had some discussions. We've talked about different ideas. There are a lot of cool things you can do with uh, TVs these days, uh, sometimes a little bit creepy. But, you know, we've, we've discussed ideas where there are some low, um, low frequency sounds that can go through TVs, especially through broadcast, that will trigger your phone where if it's green flag, your phone lights up, you know, green. If it's yellow flag, your phone lights up yellow. I know the Warriors did something very similar a few years ago with, uh, I think it was a Philips Hue light bulb where when it was game time, the lights would start flashing blue and yellow and kind of sync up with the broadcast so you knew what was going on. It was really cool technology. We're not there yet, but it's definitely some ideas that we're talking about. And then with all this, this uh, COVID stuff going on, um, I think you're going to start to see a lot of virtual viewing experience come to the forefront. So you've seen some stuff in the NBA where they've done some courtside uh, viewing. You could put on a headset and watch the game as if you're at that seat. I know Japanese baseball has done similar things where they have robots, little ro literal robots sitting in the outfield. You can purchase that seat and view the game from that robot's perspective. So even though as these events start to talk about, okay, is it possible for baseball to play with no fans? Is it possible to go racing with no fans? They're going to be on broadcast TV, but as Kristen said earlier, TV's on the decline. So that's not going to, you know, make up everything. You're going to need to start to find new ways to engage with fans at home, um, get them involved in the event itself. And I think you're going to start to see some, some virtual viewing activities coming pretty shortly as these different sports leagues and mobile app developers say, how can we get fans that are sitting at home involved in these live sporting events when they can't physically be there? Yeah, you know, and you talk about the experiences that, you know, they, they, they um, can't have when they can't physically be there. And then, and then you, you're really, you know, also trying to share and, and sell the experience of being there as this all comes back. And so I want to ask, how are each of you partnering with social media influencers or, you know, other people that have influence to show off some of this new and innovative technology or the experiences that you're creating within, uh, within the game day environment? Yeah, I will say that uh, in terms of our white label app product, we really hadn't worked with any influencers. Um, but we, we, with our own Tennis One proprietary app, we recognized we really need to. Uh, especially in terms of getting some of the the key players, um, which is expensive, right? It's it's not an it's not an inexpensive venture to get a, a player to participate in in the influencer way, um, but in this era with COVID nineteen, uh, tennis happens to be an you know sport where they're independent contractors. They're not getting paid like the basketball players, the football players, the hockey players, they're still gonna get paid, even you know, if they're not playing, they're still gonna get paid, um, but not tennis. Tennis, they're independent. And so they're, some of these players are really in dire straits. Um, and so we've offered them an opportunity with Tennis One and to be an influencer, to, to you know, um, 
to pay for downloads, if you will. That's the cost of activation for us. And so that is proving to be very successful. We recognize that, uh, that importance, that need to do that. And we've got a couple of, we've really done our homework in terms of the, the social, the digital media, the audits. That's key for all your students to learn to do an audit, to see who those influencers, um, who are the most, the most important for you. Um, if you're going to go that route, because it is expensive. Um, and so we're, we're, we're dipping the toes in the water and trying this out. And, and I, think, I, think that it's, I think it's going to be fun and interesting. I actually think somebody like Ryan could help us a great deal. Um, it, it might be fun to reach out to Ryan later to find out uh, if he's got any advice. But, um, but it is something that we're, we're trying, and I, and I think it could be good. See, I know I like coming on these podcasts. Mm -hmm. You got a new client, and, and I'm hoping that Matt will have a new client down the road here, too, because, you know, I can, I can help Matt. I really <laughs> can. <laughs> you got to always be selling, right? You just have Always. <laughs> <laughs> ABCs. You got to know your ABCs. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I think the, uh, one of the things that Kristen's, you know, alerted to, which makes a lot of sense, is really understanding the audience of who you're trying to reach. And I think a lot of times the influencer marketing companies and brands get confused and focus on the influencer when actually there's the influencers are commodities. There's millions of them out there. It's really a matter of who, who is moving the needle with the audience you're trying to reach. And then how do we find back into those people? Um, I always like giving the Kate Upton example. We've, we've had a number of clients that worked with Kate uh, to promote skincare and fashion. But when you look at her audience, the five most dominant interest of our audience is humor, fashion, humor, gaming, NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. Why? Because our audience of 11 and a half million followers is 8 million are men. And, and just, she's married to Justin Verlander. Her audience is more interested in um, when, when the NBA is going to start up again versus what the latest blouse is from Calvin Klein. So, Thinking about it like that is really focused on who the audience is. And, and that at Hyper is how we help companies determine who they should work with, not necessarily on who the selling an influencer, but much more focused on who their audience is and, and, and why they might be a, the right fit. Um, we've done a number of things with, a, uh, with, with the LA Dodgers as a great example. Um, you know, when I think to myself that we're working with the Dodgers to identify the right influencers, they don't need help in identifying influencers where they really have done a great job is in modernizing their approach because they're getting calls every day from people saying, can we get free tickets and come to the game tonight? And it's very difficult for them to understand who do we give tickets to? Who do we really give, you know, VIP experience to? Um, and they're used to working with, you know, Larry King and, and old, long-time season ticket holders for a long time of, of, of the Dodgers. So who is the 16-year-old in, in L.A. that's moving the needle? They use a technology to be able to really determine that, and that's where we can really help companies like Kristen's and others. And to jump in there, what I would also say, and I think where a lot of people are lacking, is the analytics behind what those influencers are doing for you and are they accomplishing what they're supposed to be accomplishing? I know me in particular, I'm probably the slowest adopter of influencers in the industry. Like when I, when I first think of influencers, I think of micro micro bloggers or micro influencers and we've stayed clear away from them right now, strictly because like Krista mentioned, they, they tend to be expensive and I can use that money elsewhere at a more efficient cost. And I, it, it's a very difficult for us to measure, okay, if I give, you know, this Hispanic marketing person or Hispanic blogger or Hispanic content creator who wants to come out to our, our race and try and reach a new audience, well, are they just going to follow his content because they like his content or are they actually going to buy a ticket? And that's extremely hard to measure at this point. Now, when we talk about, you know, macro influencers, we typically will leverage our athletes. So for us, that's our drivers. Um, if we talk about our music festival, it's our artists. But how do we leverage them to kind of sell and pitch the products that we're looking for? We definitely work hand in hand with the, the sanctioning body of NASCAR or we'll work with our promoter in the concerts and uh, create specific content for getting fans out here. But we don't do a whole lot with influencers just because it's very hard to measure and it's extremely costly, like Kristen said. 
So, guys, I, you know what? I, I love sitting here on these podcasts because I learn a lot from all of you. And, and uh, you know, having the idea of like scanning barcodes around an activation site at, at Michigan Stadium, you know, I took that note and uh, I will be passing along that note here to our Learfield IMG uh, folks here at Michigan moving forward. But uh, one of the questions I do have to ask is our students are preparing to graduate, they're preparing to move on with their lives and look at jobs. What are some of the skill sets that you're looking for in people that you would potentially hire, you would recommend for a job, or even uh, putting yourself back in that student mindset of, I'm graduating, looking for a job, I may have some experience, Matt, I may not, right? What are, what are some of those, those skill sets, Kirsten, that you're looking for uh, from, those, from those graduates that are coming out? Yeah, I, it, it's a great question. Um, and I, I, as a startup, we've hired a lot of young index inexperienced uh, individuals straight out of straight out of college um, as well as interns I, I, I'd like to hire interns and I like to promote those interns uh, to full-time positions when I can um, but one thing that I've noticed one of the struggles that I've had uh, as a startup is a lot of the college students who are, are new graduates are coming out of school with great degrees whether it be sports management management or media or communications or what have you and i'm not talking about the development side of our business i'm talking about the communications the marketing that that side of the business speaking more to your students um, and and the the lack of specific skills is 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 really problematic um, there the the skill set is is far too broad and and i i i I immediately have to jump into, all right, I got to train you how to do this. I have to teach you how to do this. And I would love it if they would come to me and say, hey, guess what? I am proficient in full Adobe Suite. I am proficient in editing. I am proficient in um, whatever it is, whatever skill set you are really good at, whatever you love to do most, get really good at that. And then promote the heck out of that. Like tell your future employer, I'm really good at this. Let me show you. And, and, and that will be so appreciate, uh, appreciated. Uh, it's, one, it's one thing that I've noticed, uh, especially in the communication degrees, it's, they're a, little, it's a little too vague. Um, and and I, I need them to be a little more specific in, in their expertise, if you will, even coming out of college. So develop those specific skills if you can. No, that, that's absolutely great. I, I hear the same thing from, um, from some employers that, you know, they're coming back from our students and saying, hey, you know, we love the students, they're great students, but their skill set, like, I'm really trying to confuse about where to place them, I think is the biggest uh, uh, question mark. And Ryan, for you, uh, you know, when you, when you look at what you're doing and the kind of uh, opportunities that you may have available, what are the kind of skill sets you're looking for uh, from the students? Well, for somebody like myself, who who's, who's spends a lot of time on screens and, and uh, when works in, in influencer and technology, um, I'm looking for people who, who can actually have conversations with people and can be social and, uh, and aren't able, uh, don't go out to dinner and spend three hours just staring at their screen. Um, I think it's a big challenge with young people growing up. They're, they're, you know, when conflicts happen, when anything happens, they just sort of go back to looking at that. And I, I think it's really important for people to have uh, speaking skills, uh, public speaking skills, debate skills, uh, ability to, uh, uh, talk about their argument and their point of view in a, a way that people are going to respond. I think it's going to be a very big challenge in the next generation of, of people who are you know, just so focused on playing video games and using virtual technology and, and texting people, right? And one of the things that's been interesting about Corona is actually a lot of people are reconnecting, are, are picking the phone up, are asking old friends to even just do Zoom while it's technology, at least you're seeing people. I have a friend that I, I never get to see, but all of a sudden we're talking about, you know, Zooming each other. So um, that, that to me is a big challenge, but I, we really do, I really do believe in trying to find people who um, can be very social and can be interactive and can hold conversations. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, <laughs> that's another uh, critique as well, you know, especially I'm in a fundraising business. And so most of my job is about being able to go to those events, go to those donors <clears throat> and have those varying conversations about, you know, what we're trying to promote and, and try to ask them for money. And so being able to debate, being able to be able to have conversations, be able to know and be able to read body language, those things, those things are invaluable. 
Uh, Matt, what about you? And you, you graduate, you know, with Keel and, and your own experience at UCF, or, you know, what do you see as, as some important skill sets for our students to be able to take away from um, this conversation? Yeah, so when I'm hiring, it's typically for a role on my digital marketing team. So very similar to Kristen, I'm looking for someone with hard skills. Um, one thing in particular that I typically will look for is someone who knows how to code in HTML. It's a, it's a basic code and it's um, basic coding language and it can do a lot of different things. It helps me understand that you can help with our website, you can help with the mobile app, a lot of different uh, applications there. And it also lets me know, okay, if you learn HTML, I know you can learn another language. So if I need to teach you CSS, I need to teach you SQL, we can do that because I know you have at least the aptitude to learn a different computer language. So I get a lot of students, especially coming from the marketing side, trying to get into digital marketing that don't have the technical skills I need or I'm looking for, especially on the website to kind of jump right in. Like without Kristen said, then I have to focus on, okay, how do I train them and get them up to speed? The other side of it, I get a lot of, a lot of people trying to break into social media or they want to work in social media and they're, well, you know, I've got a Twitter, I've got an Instagram, I can do it, no problem. Well, that doesn't really cut it anymore. Um, you need to really learn how to edit in video um and learn how to edit videos for a specific channel so if you look at five years ago videos had to be 30 seconds or less because that's what everyone thought the attention span was on facebook or twitter or the algorithms would dictate how long your videos could be a couple years ago everyone starts to say okay well long form videos are okay again you can start to put together your three your five your ten minute videos you know put them on youtube put them on facebook if the content is good enough people are going to watch it now you've got, okay, that's okay. You've got both ends of the spectrum. You've got your YouTubes. Now you've got TikTok, which is 15 seconds or less. How you edit videos for these different content platforms is extremely different, dif uh, different and it can be difficult. So finding someone that learn and knows how to uh, edit video and create quality content um, will definitely set you apart from someone who's just on social media because they have to be there. Yeah. So, you know, what I've heard is each of you have, has had to take risks in your career, you know, have had to try new things and, and really pioneer in different areas. So, you know, we have, we have basically one more question and then we're going to uh, wrap up with a message to the students. But um, this question comes down to, you know, could you describe either, you know, your biggest success when you tried something new or it could be your biggest failure that you learned from when you tried something new? Because ultimately to innovate, you have to try, right? So Kristen, what, what lessons of success or failure have, have you learned? You know, I, I, I will say that I think, and this, is, this was not something I, I would ever think I would have been good at, but I think I've become really good at pivoting. Um, and I, I did it when we had the 2008, 2009 recession and, and I did it successfully. And the company, you know, had I not been bored, uh, would have would have survived, would have succeeded, and we're doing it again now. And I'm I'm not willing to let our little startup fold. I'm not willing to do that, and I'm not willing to lay my team off. I, I care too much about these people, and there are too many people counting on me to let this fail. So my job, my goal is to make sure that we don't. And how can I do that? I have to pivot quickly. I have to get this team really like focused and and moving in the right direction together and and i i think that's a success for me and i think um that i'm, I'm proud of that i'm proud of the ability to get my team to do that um i think i think they will be too i think in the end you know as stressful as all of this is and as much sleep as i've lost and i have far too many gray hairs and wrinkles now that have come over the last three weeks but at the same time, I think that it's, it's, a, it's a move in the right direction for our team. Um, and I'm, I'm proud of that. Yeah, Chris, you know, we were talking about this before we started the podcast, but it was just clear when I visited uh, Minnesota and saw your office and, and just met the team, um, you know, how together the team is and how aligned they are in, in, in what you're doing and how much they care for each other. And, um, you know, just even the relationships that you have with your clients, how authentic they are with, uh, with how you decorate the office. Um, so it's, it's all in the details and, and even just walking in as an outsider, I can see what you're talking about and how much you care in that. So I appreciate you sharing with that with the students because uh, it's so important that we uh, have professionals raise up that do care about the people that they're working with. And um, Ryan, you know, you have uh, a lot of 
you know, interesting and awesome um, stories of, of successful partnership activations. But, you know, what would you say is the one that, you know, just stands above, uh, above everything that you've done? I guess it's probably uh, a project I worked on uh, about 12 years ago uh, with my client Polaroid and we worked with the music group Outcast and developed a song Shake It Like a Polaroid Picture. And, you know, the reason why I, I, I picked that is because it's, it's really relevant today, right? And if you think about a platform like TikTok, right, you, 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 that's, how brand, that's how songs go viral today, just by being on TikTok. Uh, this was like sort of the original TikTok, people doing a dance that if you go to a bar mitzvah or a wedding, uh, you still see someone in the corner shaking, shaking the Polaroid film. Uh, so it was a really great lesson and an incredible experience touring with Outkast. And but at the end of the day, the, the whole the whole idea and the whole goal was to make Polaroid the champion. So I never forgot the fact that the brand was still Polaroid and that we still had to get Polaroid out there into the real world, uh, just using uh, you know, incredible artists to be able to you know, push it out. And the only thing I would just add, and Kristen talked a little bit about it before, is, you know, she mentioned pivoting. I use the word flexible. It's, it's very important to be flexible in times like this and, and, and as we come out of this. Uh, the landscape is changing so fast. Technology changes so quickly. And being able to be flexible and understanding what's next and, and embracing it is, uh, is incredibly important. Yeah, you know, I, I love the story that you share about about Polaroid and, and Outcast Ryan and, and you know, looking back as a case study, it was so neat to see Polaroid actually putting out press releases saying, No, don't shake your Polaroid picture because it's not gonna help it. But it just created this back and forth conversation that continued to to blow up that that story and uh um, but I, I, I hear you and I think it's so great to hear both of you talk about being flexible and pivoting and, and always being ready for change. So, hey, Kiel, yeah. how many students do you think actually know that song? <laughs> let, let's, let's, I want to ask that. How many of you think they actually know what, actually the first question is no, second question oh, is man. remember that they, song? They, 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 <laughs> they might think a Polaroid is something that Will Chamberlain used to use. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Jeff! I could, you know, that's a great point. I wasn't thinking about that. Wow, think about wow. that. Right yeah. to this generation, LeBron James is still the greatest of all time. Like, no, yeah. there, there's one great, and, and they'll call it. The, that's it. There, there's no others. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have to uh, post a, a picture of a few Polaroids here uh, when we post <laughs> this internally in web courses. But, and anyway, uh, we might do that. We might do the uh, the Kodak cameras too. All right. Yes. Yeah, agreed, agreed. <laughs> and and Matt, how about you? Yeah, I got to follow that. Fantastic. <laughs> also, you're going to hear my dog barking in the background. Of course, he wakes up as uh, we start to close up. Hey, we're, we're all working from home. I've been doing the same thing, <laughs> muting. I got the dogs, the cats, everyone. Yeah, yesterday, one of the cats was bombarding me up here with stuffed animals. Ooh, that was shelf. funny. We, yeah. I asked you guys missed it. Keel's cat almost knocked off a couple of things on his top shelf. It was awesome. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> I'm also ashamed. I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm also ashamed that I didn't know that Polaroid was actually involved in that song. And I, I loved that song so much. I did. I had. I shouldn't. I'm a marketer. I should have been. Oh yeah, duh. It's probably product placement. I don't know how I didn't put that together. <laughs> why the story is so great? Because it's such a surprise. That's oh, why man. it works so well. Also, it's it. It seemed. Yeah, it seemed 100 organic. Um, my biggest success, I'd probably say, when I came to Daytona about six years ago. We were in the, the first year of a three-year $400 million renovation project that really took a facility that was built in 1959 and brought it up to today's standards. Um, fans want to, you know, they want concourses. They want all these amenities that they're used to getting at NBA arenas and football stadiums. And a lot of the NASCAR facilities and speedways just weren't up to par. So our track kicked off a, a a multi-year program where they've started to really invest in, in their properties and upgrade their tracks. Well, my team's project, and at the time my team was, you know, me and two others, aside from, a, you know, a development team, were tasked with creating a new website and a new mobile app within a, about a seven-month period um, from design to completion and launch. So working with um, the whole RFP process, finding partners to suit both of those needs, finding partners on design process, working with the right developers and going all the way through the steps of 
RFPs, uh, agency selection, internal processing, creating all the content, and then launching both the website and the mobile app on time, in time for our new unveiled to brand new um, facility is probably uh, what I would say is uh, our biggest accomplishment from my, my team's perspective. Yeah, and, and Matt, you know, real quick, could you share with the students, you know, when I was introducing you, I wanna make sure to correct it. You're with the Daytona International Speedway and, you know, there are multiple entities involved, right? In terms of what you do daily, in terms of the brand. So could you just share briefly with the students kind of, you know, uh, International Speedway Corporation, Daytona International Speedway, NASCAR, et cetera? Yeah, it's all convoluted because it was all started by one, one gentleman, Bill France, way back when. Mm -hmm. um, eventually split into two companies, which was NASCAR mm -hmm. and was International Speedway Corporation, mm -hmm. ISC. ISC owned about 13 racetracks. And Daytona was one of them. But all that's changed because we actually went through a merger last year. So now NASCAR has bought ISC. So as of November, we're all technically NASCAR employees. But we all do a lot of a, a different things. So I focus on Daytona International Speedway. Um, we've got folks around the, the nation that, you know, someone works at Talladega. They do a lot of the same things at Talladega. And then we've got counterparts at NASCAR, which is our sanctioning body, doing uh, digital marketing efforts, supporting the tracks, supporting the series, focusing a lot more on competition, whereas I focus more on the venue and the fan experience at the venue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that because I, I think one of the things, you know, that students, you know, really need to make sure they do the research on is just how different entities have relationships with each other so they know when they're applying for jobs who they're actually applying to work, work for and work with and where the relationships are. And uh, um, so I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, before we wrap up, and I want to be respectful of all your time, we're running just a few minutes over here, but, um, you know, I just want you to look right into the camera. You know, all the students right now are expressing concern right around graduating into this environment um, that we're in but I just want want you to share with them some direct advice uh, you know from your heart on on what you would tell them uh, they should uh, they should do or, or they should be confident in uh, as they graduate or move on to the next uh, semester of study well I will start uh, by just saying it's Easter weekend so for me I encourage you to have faith not fear and, and, and I truly believe that if, if you can have faith in, uh, you know, in a higher being and in yourself and in what you're doing um, and what your goals are, it's all going to be fine. It's, it's going to be okay. I know that this is really hard. It's hard for all of us. Believe me, I know. But it's, it's going to be okay. And I think as a country, we're going to come out stronger because of this. Um, you, as starting in your careers, you know what? Use this time. Use this time to earn, you know, learn that extra skill um, to, to really uh, be marketable when, when you have that chance to get the next job or your first job. Um, it, will make you, it will make you better. So that'd be my advice. And good luck. Um, you know, my, my thought is uh, there's a lot of opportunities out there. So, you know, go after something that you love and and have some passion for it, but also have some fun. You know, I look back at my college career and college life and you only get a certain number of years in college and then, uh, and then you're off and then you have a lot of years in the rest of the side. So, uh, you know, have some fun, stay focused and wash your hands. If I was in your shoes right now, what I would probably be doing is spending a lot of time on LinkedIn like Kristen said, learning skills and growing your network. So if you're, if you're into advertising and you live in Orlando, you should be joining advertising groups and trying to find people that live in Orlando, reach out to them on LinkedIn, say, hey, I'd love to sit in a Zoom chat with you and get to know you for about 15 minutes. And that's what you should be doing. You should be getting to know people, get to know how they got to where they were, get to know um, what you can be doing better, and really just create real relationships with people because that's all you can really do right now. And then I would say, I would, I would utilize a few what I call LinkedIn hacks. Um, anytime you click on someone's profile, what happens? It alerts them that you looked at their profile. What are they going to do? Natural curiosity, they're going to go look at your profile. Um, if you're applying for jobs, you're applying for the marketing coordinator for the Orlando Magic, utilize LinkedIn and find out, okay, if it's a coordinator role, it probably reports up to the manager role or probably reports up to a director. Address your cover letter to that person. That's going to put you one step ahead of whoever else is addressing their cover letter as dear sir or miss or your hiring manager. 
even if it's the wrong person that the job's going to report to, at least the fact that you spent time to look into their company, it's going to go back and show you you've done a little bit more. I would also say uh, submit a cover letter because I can't stress enough how many people are not submitting cover letters. It blows my mind. Um, I'm a stickler for it. I won't even look at your application if you don't have a cover letter, just because for me that signifies if you're not going to put in the time in your job application and put in the time to create a cover letter, I'm not going to put the time in to look at your job application. So for me, what I would be doing right now is growing your network, reaching out to people. Everyone's stuck inside. They've got nothing to do. Get on a Zoom call, get to know somebody for five and 15 minutes, and then let them know, hey, once this is all over, I'd love to take you out, grab a cup of coffee, grab a beer, and then continue to grow those real relationships. And that's a wrap for this episode. Join us next time to talk with Michelle Stinger of UCF Athletics. Michael Rust from the Nashville Predators and Michael Ferris from the Country Music Association when we talk about big data and analytics.